I am really glad to be with you this morning. You know, I look out and you are the next generation of Christian leaders in Canada. Uh, it's exciting to, to be here to, to share this time of worship with you. You know, uh, compared to my generation or generations before, or even generations that go back as far as Gary Nelson, uh, <laughs> you, have a, you have a global mindset. You, you are more interested and aware of the issues around you. And as Christians, you are concerned and interested in knowing how you can align yourself with God's heart, especially for God's heart with the poor. Now, you know, you really are just a big bundle of potential right here. Although there are a few people in the back there that I think maybe you're still recovering from reading week. Now, I went to a Christian university where we had required chapel, so I get it. But I hope that no matter what today, that you will find something encouraging in what I want to share. Uh, I'm not a theologian. We're not going to be, you know, doing expository speaking. In fact, I, I want to just share some observations and some stories today. Hope it'll encourage you. And I hope that you also feel a little bit challenged by the time together. But will you just join me as we commit this time to pray to God? God, thank you for the chance that we have to be here. I pray for all the students, faculty, staff, and those in the community who've gathered here. May the words that I share today and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I want to share today is this. Before we speak or act as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to see. Now, here at Tyndale, I know that your chapel theme this, this uh, year has been around the good news. Uh, our world needs good news like never before. You know, in the course of my work, I see a lot of places that desperately need just a little bit of good news. You know, the world is becoming increasingly difficult for so many people. For aid organizations like World Vision, we come face to face with a growing number of disasters from one end of the world around to the other. In fact, in 2017 alone, World Vision responded to more than 22 separate humanitarian emergencies. Things like a deepening hunger crisis in the eastern part of Africa, which has been labeled the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. Or the situation that's currently happening right now on the borders of Myanmar and Bangladesh. It's the fastest growing refugee crisis almost in history, with a million people on the borders that weren't there this time last year. You know, it's not easy to remain positive in the face of what seems like overwhelmingly bad news. And what's even more difficult, I, I would say, is that sometimes we don't even know if the news is not good or bad, but whether it's even true. 2017, as you know, is kind of the era of fake news, right? In too many cases, fake news and the global forces of politics, culture, and even religion are pushing us toward isolation rather than compassion. Have you seen that? A conflict instead of peace. We're turning inward instead of reaching out, seeking blame and punishment rather than justice and reconciliation. And I think probably from bad news to fake news, it's sometimes easy for us to just want to tune out altogether. But that's not why I'm here today. I, have a, I love this quote from our Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He said that the daily newspaper that's delivered to your door is God's to-do list delivered to you daily. Think about that. God's to-do list delivered to you daily. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means for the kind of work that I get to do. 
Well, one of the places that I love to visit is Zimbabwe. I spent quite a bit of time there. Uh, here's a picture, actually. We, my, my wife, who's actually here today, uh, she and I uh, sponsor a little girl in Zimbabwe that I visited a number of times. So this is Sibon Kule. Points if you get to say that right later on. But if you go to Zimbabwe and you greet people in the community, you don't say, hey, how are you? Do you know what you say? Well, you're gonna, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Endebele. You ready? You say, Salibanani. You want to try that? Salibanani. And then to reply, you say, Sikona. What that means, Salibanani means, I see you. I see you. Sikona means, and I am here to be seen. Think about the implications for that greeting. This is not a dismissive question about how you're doing. It's a recognition that when we greet someone looking in their, them in their eyes, we recognize the dignity and worth that's in them inherently. Right? We see God's image in them. And similarly, when we say, Sakona, I am here to be seen, you're opening yourself up to community and willingness to be in relationship. I think it's a really powerful metaphor. Now, you might be asking, what does this have to do with spreading the good news? Isn't it about just proclaiming or living out the kingdom? Well, it is about that, but we talk about in, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as well as in, king, in heaven. We have work to do right here. So I believe that as we talk about the good news, we talk spreading the good news, it's not just about telling people about Jesus. It's about living it out, how we live out that good news. One of the reasons I wanted to share that greeting from Zimbabwe is because I think that living out the good news starts with how we see the world. Specifically, how we see people who are struggling or oppressed by poverty and injustice. We don't want to see them as objects of pity, but as people created in God's image and close to God's heart. You can't read scripture without realizing very quickly that God cares for the poor. You know, there are almost 2,000 references in the Bible that talk about poverty or injustice. I'm not going to go through them all today. Probably happy about that. But if you read through the scriptures and you go to the New Testament, you can get a very good idea about the place that the poor uh, plays in God's heart by looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. As Christ followers, that's what we're all about. Well, first of all, here's something to think about. When God decided to come in human form in the incarnation, Jesus was, didn't choose to be born into riches and privilege, did he? He comes to an oppressed people under occupation as part of a poor family. In fact, a family that very quickly after his birth became refugees. On their way to Egypt, they were probably homeless. Uh, they would have struggled and lived in poverty in Egypt, relying on the community around them for basic support. From the moment Jesus first drew breath, Jesus, in his coming, identified with the poor. A couple of years ago, I traveled to the Serbia-Croatia border. There was a line of refugees coming from Syria and other places uh, seeking asylum through uh, into the European community. This is a man who I met just for a few seconds, but he left an indelible impression on me. He'd come from Afghanistan, actually. He'd been uprooted from his home and had left everything behind and was seeking refuge in, in Europe. 
he was on a desperate quest alongside thousands of others. Now you can see what he's carrying there. He's carrying his most precious possessions in those two bags. But you know what? Those bags don't contain his bank book. They don't contain mortgage documents, money. They don't even contain uh, family photos. In each of his hands, he was carrying one of his two three-month-old sons, twins, walking with almost nothing through a cornfield to an uncertain future. What if this man was like Joseph? What if one of the babies in those bags was Jesus? This is the connection that we have. This is the life that Jesus was born into. Well, if we think about how Jesus spent his time, we also need to pay attention to who he hung out with. Most of Jesus' time in his ministry is spent on the margins. He engages deeply with people who are vulnerable, uh, often dealing with people who are diseased or disabled, uh, the outcasts, the prostitutes. He touches and reaches out and, and, and caresses the scaly, disfigured face and skin of lepers, breaking down cultural taboos and stigma. He looks into the eyes of people who have been abandoned by society, even sharing meals with people at the bottom of the totem pole. I recently came back from New Delhi, India. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. On my last trip, we spent some time with a community who were at the absolute lowest level of society structures in India. These children are part of a family whose life their, grandparent, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, as long as they could remember, have lived on a dark garbage dump. Their life is spent, their worth and their value in their community is about gathering refuse, picking through garbage and trying to sell it. These are the marginalized in our society today. These children would be those that Jesus identifies with. And if we are called to serve Jesus, these are the folks that we are called to serve. So he identified with the poor, he hung out with the marginalized, but Jesus also had a few things to say about the poor. In Jesus' last sermon before he was crucified, he tells one of his most challenging stories, and it's about the final judgment. Now, we heard it actually in the video. You probably sound familiar. If you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. In the interest of, of time, I'm not going to read it, but let me summarize this story and just leave you with some, some ideas behind it. You know, it's actually one of the very few passages in the Bible that Jesus talks about judgment. And it's interesting because he puts himself in the judgment seat as the judge. So you, you know the story. The judge gathers all the people in front of him and he then divides them into two groups. On this side, I guess you're all on the good side because you are the sheep. Jesus says the sheep are the ones who are blessed because they cared for the poor. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. Because of this, they're blessed. Then he turned to the goats. You guys can be sheep as well, but for the purpose of the illustration, you're the goats, and you did exactly the opposite. They didn't respond to the needs right in front of them. And Jesus boldly condemns them. So let's pause it there just for a minute. This is already a challenging 
A challenging passage in a variety of ways, including the fact that Jesus seems to be equating salvation and judgment with our actions. I'm going to let your theological theology professors to un- unravel that. Because there seems to be a lot of judgment on our actions. It's compelling. But there is a lot of emphasis as we look through Matthew's gospel about the fact that if we love God, we have to express that love to others. Otherwise, maybe our love is maybe a little questionable. It's a concrete action, not just a feeling. Now, we could spend more time thinking about the details, but let me focus on just one key aspect of this story. It's how Jesus presents the challenge that as Jesus followers, not only are we to live out our faith by helping those in need, but there's a deeper message about seeing here. When we see the poor, the vulnerable, and the oppressed, Jesus says that we're actually seeing Jesus himself in them. Think about that. What we know is that neither the sheep nor the goats had any idea about this. They say things, when did we ever see you sick? When did we see you? Jesus explains it. It's very simple. He says this, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Once again, it's this idea of sight. Jesus gives us here a new perspective, right? A new way to see. He helped us see how our actions toward the most vulnerable were actually directed toward him. Jesus calls us to open our eyes to see him in some pretty unlikely places, to look for those that he calls the least of these. Well, it doesn't take us long to think about our troubled world today and try to figure out who might be the least of these. I mean, I, one of the privileges I have uh, in my role is that I get to travel around the world and I've met some people that I think would probably qualify. This is Nelia. Nelia lives in Zimbabwe. We visited her and she told us that she had tried to plant her crops for four times, four times during the season, every time they were burned up. She was the sole provider for her four grandchildren and had no idea how she was going to get them through the next few months. Or this is Tanya. You see the picture of her there on the left. Tanya is a bright, amazing girl. She wasn't that much younger than my own daughter, full of potential. But yet, Tanya doesn't go to school. Tanya lives in Bangladesh. She's the sole caregiver for her disabled father and her younger brother. And after caring for them all day, she goes into a dark, dimly lit, cold, concrete room and spends hours each night sorting shrimp carcasses for pennies an hour. Or Joyce. Joyce lives in one of the refugee camps in Juba, South Sudan, one of the most fragile places on earth. She had fled from ethnic conflict. She had no idea where her husband was, but she was caring, caring for her children in a tiny shelter under a tarp. The one thing that belonged to her was her wig. She wouldn't let me have a, a photo of her until she did that. It was like the one piece of dignity that she was holding on to in the midst of unbelievable desperation. These, friends, are the faces of Jesus in these unlikely places. In the backbreaking work of a grandmother, in a teenage girl who just wants to live up to her potential, and in a mother who is sheltering under a tarp in a refugee camp. Mother Teresa once said that we need to look 
for the distressing disguise of seeing Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. And I believe that we have to try to see Jesus among these true bearers of the good news. Jesus has already identified them. He's already walked in their shoes. But for us in a different kind of world, a different environment, we have to ask God to change our sight. So how do we see with new eyes? How do we see how Jesus is calling us to pay attention, to see him and those in need and to do our part to help bring about his kingdom? Well, students, the simplest answer is this. Invite God to open your eyes. Invite God to invade your story the same way that he invaded our world 2,000 years ago. Invite God to take your joy, your messiness, your, your chaos, your celebration, whatever your life is made of, and ask God to transform it, to take you exactly as you are, exactly who you are, and give you a vision to open your eyes to see how he's calling you to engage, especially as you try to reflect on God's heart for the poor. You know, the moment that my eyes kind of became open to this was actually for me in university. Uh, I had struggled a little bit in in my family. We had gone through some very significant brokenness. My father, when I was in high school, uh, contracted a terminal disease. He was infused with HIV during a a blood transfusion. And we were facing as a family a kind of imminent death sentence. So in in a world that otherwise seemed pretty perfect, brokenness had entered in. But it wasn't until I was in my third year of university in a study program in inner city Washington, D.C., and we were studying the idea of economic justice that the connection that I had in my own life of brokenness and disappointment made a connection with the families we were seeking to serve, the issues of justice, reconciliation, stigma, dignity. And it was at that moment that God planted a seed in my life that really grew into the path that I followed, seek to be faithful, sought to be faithful over the years. Now, your story is not my story. We all bring our unique backgrounds to this, but no matter your background, I believe that God can help you see. World Vision's founder, Bob Pierce, once wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, may my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Now, for us at World Vision, we live this out every day. For me personally, it has meant following Jesus to some of the toughest places in the world, right to the margins. Forgotten crises and places where no one else wants to go. The places, frankly, where sometimes it's dangerous to be. I'll give you another, another story, another example. Last year, I visited the border of South Sudan and Uganda. More than a million refugees have fled from conflict and famine in South Sudan to seek a relative sense of security and peace in the northern part of uh, the Uganda country. What's most concerning is the children. I learned when I was there that they had received more than 10,000 children who had arrived in this refugee camp without a parent or a guardian. Come back to Canada for a minute. Think about that. If a child goes missing for more than five or six hours, what happens in Ontario? Well, there'll be amber alerts, right? Your television stations, your radios, it's it's broadcast everywhere. Imagine that times 10,000. 
I talked to some of these children and heard some unbelievable stories of heartbreak and despair. One of the ones who really left an impression for me is Peter. You'll see him in the front there in the red shirt. Peter's 14 years old. He had fled with his brothers, Richard and John, uh, from South Sudan. He witnessed his parents killed in a field and ran with his brothers with nothing except their shirts on their back into the bush and eventually made it here. Peter told me, I just needed to get my brothers to safety. He had a strength and a dignity that I was far beyond his 14 years, but he had been deeply touched by unbelievable brokenness. And I'm happy to say that World Vision was there. We were helping to work with these children, uh, reuniting them and actually connecting them with foster families. But it's just one response. It can be just so difficult to be in some of these places. But I believe that in order for us to be faithful bearers of the good news, we simply have to be. In Isaiah 65, God paints a vision, doesn't he, of, of the new kingdom and the new earth, new heaven and new earth. And one of the first things he says in that vision is that there will be no more crying and sorrow. No more crying and sorrow for Peter, Richard, and John, for the thousands of children who are affected. The heartbreak that Peter and his brothers experienced won't exist. But for now, as we follow Jesus and care for those in need, there are things we can do. We can provide comfort. We can care for others, truly love those in need. We will need to live the future kingdom and its values today. I don't want you to feel today that you need to rush and get on an airplane and fly to South Sudan or to Zambia or to the border of uh, some war-torn country. But I believe that by changing our sight, the way that we see, God can do a work in us. Just my challenge for you is to open your eyes. Ask God to change your sight. Maybe it means thinking a little bit differently of your experience and your background. Think about opening up to hear stories from others. Look for moments of need where you can put love into action. We recently had Tony Campolo come to World Vision. He's been a longtime supporter, and uh, I interviewed him at our annual meeting. It, Tony tells the story of his uh, church, an African-American church just outside of Philadelphia. And the pastor gathered students just like you who are on the verge of starting university or on to the next year. And he looked down at them and said this. He said, you are here potentially gathering titles. You might be on your way to a master's degree, a graduate degree, even a PhD. Maybe you're, you're, you're on to trade school. You are gathering titles for positions in the world. What's more important, though, than titles is your testimony. What is it you want to be known for at the end of the day as you want to seek to be a faithful followers of Jesus? Is it just that you want to graduate from Tyndale with a Bachelor of Arts or an MDiv? Or do you want to be known as someone who has asked to have the scales fall from our eyes where we can see others and live out the values of this amazing upside down kingdom of God? Well, I'm just really grateful to have had the chance to be with you this morning. And uh, chapel's going to end, it's going to be a prayer and it's not a prayer from me. One of the amazing things that we've uh, been able to, to, to gather are some resources from South Sudan. And we, we filmed one of the bishops from South Sudan saying a very simple prayer about his country 
and I think it will set us on the right path. And as you watch this, watch this video and reflect today, think about how you can put yourself in the shoes of those in this context. Those who are undergoing challenge, stigmatization, marginalization. And how can we be bearers of the good news? Thanks very much. Let's watch this prayer.